Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. Do you ever have a stressful situation, a nagging worry, something's going on at work, or a financial uncertainty that sets in, or something deeply personal, and you come home, or you go into a work meeting, or you have a phone call with a family member, and they end up expressing some kind of frustration or new additional pushback on you, they tell you it seems that you're not listening, or you, you're not connected to them in some way. This ever happened to you? <laughs> I know it has, because you're human. Um, well, now they're on me. I'm trying to figure out or deal with a frustration at work or in life, and this person in my house or this friend wants me to talk and focus on them and have conversation. This happens a lot in marriages, and this is not a marriage talk. I'm, not, uh, I'm, re- I'm really not focused specifically this morning on, on marriage, but boy, is this common in marriages. Um, you're dealing with the preoccupied concern or worry or thought already, and now he or she is regularly sounding frustrated with you. You know this experience? And if you're not careful, you can start to think things like, wow, they just don't get it, or they don't get me. Why do they have to keep bugging me? about conversation or emotional connection or my mood, especially right now. And ever so slightly, no one intends this, you don't plan on it, but ever so slightly, you slip into the space of feeling obligated in the relationship to connect or talk or share feelings or to be someone they want you to be that you just don't feel like or want to be right now especially while you've got more pressing things to think about. So there are two things I really want you to know. And this has been a particular deep desire for you to know for about a month, four or five weeks now. The first is the exact same experience of developing a slow-paced resentment or this nagging sense that, oh, man, I've got to go into this conversation. Here it comes again. This same experience can, can and will play out as a result of not just a negative pressure or preoccupation. This can also happen. The same result can happen from a positive preoccupation, something good or a toy or a dream that you have. Something that you start obsessing about can actually lead you to emotional disconnection or resenting that someone just wants your time, wants your focus. Here's the second thing I really want you to know. The exact same resentment and disconnect happens for these same two reasons. A negative preoccupation, anxiety or worry, a stress, or a very positive preoccupation. The exact same resentment and disconnect can happen for the same two reasons between you and God. 
just like it can between you and a friend or you and a spouse. If you're carrying something heavy, if there's something that settles in and begins to fill you with anxiety or preoccupies your mind or your thinking, you can end up resenting the conversations God wants to be having with you. Like, I just can't do this right now. I'll get back to God later. I've got this financial pressure. There's this personal, deep, big, big issue happening right now. We can do it to our spouse. We can do it to a friend at coffee. We can do it to a coworker that just wants to hang out after work and talk and catch up. When we seem very, very disconnected, and we can do this to God. So I'd like to retell today the framework of much of a conversation that I had with my great friend Lou, Lou Pizzoli, who many of you know here. He's a, just an amazing part of our church family here. Uh, Lou gave me his full blessing in retelling our conversation. In fact, when we had this conversation sitting outside of Brewbird's coffee shop about four, four and a half weeks ago, um, out in the, their back patio under the trees, he actually said to me, Brad, you need to tell the whole church this um, at the end of our conversation. And so I circled back with him this week and I, I, I read this to him in about 25 minutes or so. And I said, I just, are you, are you okay? You said I, and he said, absolutely. Tell them the whole story. Read all of the, the, the convictions and thoughts that we were sharing. Lou and I were talking about life, things going on with us personally, the good, the growth, as, as some of you know, uh, Lou has been recovering from a very serious stroke, happened uh, just almost exactly two years ago. Uh, we were talking about challenges in our lives. Uh, my life, his life, and we were just having coffee and talking as we do regularly, weekly as friends. And I ended up saying a few things that Lou responded to by telling me that I should share this with you, with everybody. So here goes. There's a force in our world that is so real. It is so, so real. If you grew up in the 70s, like I did as a kid, you would see often cartoon depictions of a little devil. I'm, I, I, I remember specifically Tom and Jerry. But it was a common sort of caricature, uh, caricature or, or depiction of just this little, simple, silly devil who would whisper silly things into your ear. And if you were a teenager in the 80s, like I was, you'd see horror movies or images during Halloween that just sort of made light of spirits or forces that seemed to be against us or that just try to mess with us, just sort of generically mess with us. I'm not sure I have all the words to tell you that we have an enemy and how real this enemy is. This spiritual enemy exists. And this enemy's mission is to discourage and distract. This is his primary weaponry against you. This is his mandate against you. It is his deep, deep passion set against your life. It is to discourage you and to distract you. And tomorrow morning, it will start all over again. Attempts, bombardments to discourage and to distract you. I considered a silly title today, uh, The Enemy Who Wants to Diss Us, because of discourage and distract. But 
That's silly, so I won't even suggest that idea. It's his mission, it's his passion, and, and I'm using the pronoun his, although the, the word Satan in Scripture is appropriately, accurately translated into English as a title. The Satan is the right way to, to translate the word Satan. Um, Satan is a, a very anti-Jesus spirit that is opposed to real whole life. This force, this spirit is real. And the constant barrage to discourage and to distract is against you and me every single day. It's been in this world since we humans listened to it in Eden. And I'm going to leave that hanging there where it is at the very beginning of humanity in Eden. And I'm going to go into the New Testament to John chapter 10 to some of the words of Jesus. Jesus said, therefore, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Like saved toward real life is what Jesus is saying. From broken humanity is what he's talking about here. He's talking about being the shepherd and being the gate. Jesus is mixing metaphors here very intentionally. And he's doing that to tell us about sheep who listen to the liar or the thief or who listen to the shepherd and come through the right pathway towards life. This is, what Jesus, this is the context that Jesus is, is just laying out for us here. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Again, he's talking about real life. The way we humans are designed to live. The thief, Jesus says, comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's the thief's mission. That is the deep burning passion in this mysterious but very real spiritual enemy. And the good news is, you know, if, if you're not careful, you can just become sort of frightened, like, oh my gosh, what is Jesus telling us? Well, Jesus is speaking to a reality that you and I see every day. You see it every day. You feel the pressure of this every day. What we need to focus on is the last statement of Jesus. I've come that they may have life. They, meaning humans, humanity, may have life and have it to the full. I want you to know this. We have an enemy, and it's real. It's not pretend. It's not some kind of cartoon figure. It's opposed to life functioning the way it was designed to. And it's been set against us, and it's opposed to humans living full, real, whole life. Now, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable, and it's pretty famous. Even, even, even among non-churchgoers, this, this parable is, is fairly well known. It's the parable of the farmer who plants seeds. It's sometimes called the parable of the sower or the parable of the seeds. Uh, and in this parable, we see forces that are set against, at work against people to steal and suffocate the seed of God's words that he's constantly trying to speak, to lay over our lives, to embed into our hearts. Okay, so the first batch of seed, we're told in Matthew 13, is the seed that's thrown 
on the path. It's sown onto the path. And the thief comes to steal it. Now, this isn't culturally relevant to you and I today. We're not, a lot of us aren't farmers. Most of us probably aren't today. In Jesus' day, agriculture, I mean, this was just so common. It was just ubiquitous. Everybody is planting and harvesting and trying to provide for their families. Uh, it was such a concept that people would steal seed lying on beaten down paths or where there's a harder surface or firmer surface. People would actually steal the seed for themselves. Then the next batch of seed that Jesus talks about is sown on rocky ground. The seed dies after people receive God's words with joy, but there's no real depth. And when a little bit of trouble comes along or there's a struggle, there's no depth at all. There's no roots going anywhere from the seed. And these people quickly fall away from their faith, from, from, from the words that Jesus has planted in their hearts. Then Jesus tells us about the seeds sown among thorns. Weeds growing in some parts of the land or some part of the, the property. And some of the seed that's being sown by God because his passion is to sow it everywhere, onto every human, every person's heart. Uh, some of it lands on, in the weedy places. He's scattering in all the possible places and weeds are the worries and the deceit of wealth, it's interesting that in that particular example of Jesus, it's the, the worries and the deceit of wealth that have the same result. Which is that God's words are choked out. And then he tells us of the seed that's sown on good soil. And this is the person's heart, the soil in, the, in this parable being the condition of a person's heart in their mind. The good soil is the, the seed sown into a heart that receives it and allows it to grow and allows the seed, the words of God, to challenge them and soften them. And Jesus says that the incredible crop of fruit that emerges, that results from this person receiving, it can, can sometimes be a hundred times as much that was sown. Okay, that's, that's the famous parable in Matthew 13. Then Jesus immediately tells this next parable, which we're going to read. In Matthew 13, 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is what belongs to God, his presence, his unmatched power, his people, his voice, his plans for the world. That's, that's what God's kingdom is. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and then went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. So the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, Jesus replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to just go and pull it all up? No, the master answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you, uh, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, and I'm going to just pause here and give a sidebar. It's tragic what's happened in church history theologically in many, many cases. Jesus is about to use the, the, the phrase uh, flames of fire in reference to the wheat. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the weeds growing with the wheat. 
And what we've done in church history often is we take a metaphor. Jesus is clearly using metaphors here. He's not saying people are actually seeds. You're actually a seed. You're not a human. It's, it's obvious. But then we get to flames of fire and we project onto God is saying that he will torment. His heart is to torment people in eternity with fire. And we get so distracted that we miss the point. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Jesus is using metaphors here to talk about how dramatic, how dramatic it is to, to receive the seeds of life or to be eternally separated from God's words and God's love and God's plans. And there's this aha moment that Lou and I talked about there at Brewbirds a month ago, where yes, we have an enemy. And we were talking about experiencing and recognizing the enemy. And I was helping Lou understand, you know, Lou, this is really the discouragement sometimes that we talk about or that we feel. This is intentionally set against us. Yes, we have an enemy, but, and this is the aha moment, the condition of our mind and heart. Last week we talked about how Change is hard, but we've been given a will. We have the ability to choose what we're going to set our focus and hearts on. We do have an enemy, but the condition of our mind and heart allows the discouragement, allows the distraction to win, to take root, to have power over our minds or hearts. Or the condition of our mind and heart allows God's truth to overpower the condition of our mind and heart allows God's truth to reject the distraction, the discouragement. It's not that there aren't real stresses. If you're human and if you're sitting here in front of me, if you're listening to our podcast right now, we face stress every day. It's not that there isn't real trouble or financial concerns. It's that our minds and hearts can choose. We have the ability to choose to focus on what God says about his provision in our lives, that he's always working good if we allow him. His presence will never leave us. And so if we allow him, he will always be producing good even out of the challenges. We have the ability, you have the ability to choose every day to recognize, to remind, to reflect on this reality of God. He's close to me. He's good. Even in the bad of broken earth. And everyday struggles, he has promised to work good out of the struggle, out of the pain. Or we can choose. This is a choice. This doesn't just randomly happen to you. Or you can choose to put God's conversation with us on hold. Tragically, with his words attempting to connect with us. Attempting to pull us back into emotional connection with him. Reminders of who he is and what he can do in our lives. Tragically, we can actually develop resentment. I'll get back to God. God, I just, I just can't right now. This is why you and I, this is part of what I, want, what I need you to know, what I want you to know. This is why... You and I so need the community of the church. 
you so desperately need it. I'm not trying to grow a church. This is more of what I was talking with Lou about that day. I'm not trying to grow a church because I just want to see more numbers. When I know we're growing or meeting new people, we're seeing others connect with us here, yeah, that's exciting to me. And it always will be. That should be exciting to us. But not because we'll have a room one day that is full and, and just full of a lot more energy. And yes, that happens. In bigger crowds, there's, there's a natural energy in a room that's full. We're all in this something. We're all a part of something big and exciting and growing. That's a, that's a natural result of more people coming in, and it's fine. And I get excited by those things. It's one reason I love college football. You, before you even get to the tunnel, you can hear the noise. And it's just, it's palpable. I walked into Lambeau Field last year with my friend Jason, and when I walked out of the tunnel, I mean, it, I, I got tears in my eyes. <laughs> and you can mock me for that or laugh at me later. But there's something exciting about those environments. And yes, there is an element of that when we see others coming in and a friend has come and, and we're hanging out and we're building relationships here as a church. I get excited about seeing new people and seeing additional people join us because I know they, like me, need the community of the church. They need God's ecclesia. God's movement of power and shared experience in the love of God who's come in to invade humanity. When you share that idea and you're sharing the experience that God loves me in spite of my mess, in spite of my decisions, in spite of my past, he loves me anyway and he's calling me into new. When you and I share that together, Jesus calls it ecclesia, his church, and he says that's a movement. It's not a building. It's not a location you go to one hour. It becomes a movement on this planet. And we need it. You and I need this kind of connection. We need the encouragement of this from one another. There's places all through Scripture like 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 12. And the same is true for you, Paul says. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities of uh, the Spirit gives, the Holy Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. You're excited to be used by God and have... God's gifts working in you will be most excited about gifts working in you that will build up and strengthen the whole church, he says. We need each other. That's what Paul's constantly teaching the church all throughout the New Testament. Hebrews 10, 24 is another example. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You can't sustain the character that God wants for you, what he's called us to be, reflections of God, imagers of God. You cannot sustain this without the, the, the old biblical word in the New Testament is the word edification, to build up. Without the building up and encouragement of one another, you will spiritually die. You will become so You may continue going to church, in hopes that you're reminded of God's truth or that he's still there, but you will spiritually wither if you're not in connection and relationship with people who also experience discouragement, but who also are experiencing God's real power in life. It's, it's like it quantifies. There's this exponential effect when you and I are hearing like, yeah, you struggle too, oh, you've gone through this, but God has given you hope. It's like an exponential encouragement that comes out of you and I spending that kind of time together. 
It's when we speak life to one another. Just our presence with each other. Just our presence. Just having coffee with each other. When we do that, there's a spiritual dynamic that happens that begins to push back on the discouragement and the distraction. Immediately, whether you go to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or to lunch or to a community group. Or have dinner with each other. People within your church your church family, you're most likely not thinking, we're going to have dinner, or we're going to go to Dunkin' Donuts, and we're going to push back on our enemy. <laughs> I don't think that. I'm not consciously thinking that when I hang out with you or friends or we do connection here together. I'm not consciously thinking that either. But the reality is that the moment that you gather with others who follow Jesus and you get together with people from church, not to whine, not to complain about what's wrong with government or our world, not to gossip about other people. But when you get together to hear someone's story and what they're going through, and you share who God is and what's good and developing in your life, there's a dynamic when God's Spirit speaks life and you walk away encouraged. Distraction and discouragement have been pushed back on. There's been room and space made for life, for us to flourish and grow and bear fruit, life-giving fruit. You desperately need the community and encouragement and coffees and football watch parties that we're doing now at church in conversation about God's words and scripture and the prayer of the church, people praying for you and you regularly praying for others that you're developing relationships with here at church. There is power in that kind of prayer. You need it. You need it. I need it. We spiritually suffer and end up withering without it. The hope and encouragement of people in your church. You were designed for it. You were made for this. You need it. You need it more than maybe you know. It's God's vehicle of hope and truth and deep encouragement. Lou and I were at Brewbirds. We were discussing hope and confidence we feel every time we're, we're together. After sharing some discouragement that day, and I'm just going to give you this as an example, uh, and I mean this sincerely, I don't even remember which person it was at Dulles. I'd had a conversation earlier that day with someone at Dulles. I sincerely do not remember who it was. And this, this is a regular kind of thing. Somebody who wants to grow in their faith and they were struggling. They were struggling in their faith and we had a conversation about it. And as I sometimes do, I walked away from that conversation with someone else here at Dulles feeling like a bad pastor. <laughs> and I did. I, I took that into my hangout time with Lou at Brewbirds. And he's talking about some struggles Lou is constantly in every day, every minute of every day in stroke recovery. And a lot of you know that. And I was talking about some of my struggles and out came this, you know, Lou, sometimes I just, I wish I was a better pastor. I think, I think like the conversation, you know, he's like, what? And I, I said, yeah, I just, I had a conversation this morning and man, this, this sweet person at church, they're struggling in their faith. And if I was a better communicator or if maybe I could, Help translate God in, in he, Lou, with his increasing, growing speech. Recovering from, from his stroke, uh, sometimes he's just 
more articulate than anybody in my life. And he stopped me and he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he gives me this speech about how, and you know, he, he, he was saying my messages have really helped open his eyes to God and the kind of friend that I am and he fights back tears and then I'm fighting back tears. And our, our coffee ends with us sitting there under the trees, people around us having no idea what's happening. This profound moment settles in on Lou and I where I said, Lou, we have to have this. Anyone who follows Jesus, we have to. We need the encouragement from one another. Marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Getting through life financially upright at all times, it's hard. There are pressures and stresses and doctor's appointments. There are circumstances that happen to us that are just unplanned. They're just not a part of our five-year plan. We have to have this. And Lou was just shaking his head with, with tears, saying he's so grateful he has this. And he didn't even mean particularly with me. He meant with his church. He was just telling me, I'm so thankful for our church. We were made to experience God's life and image in community from one another. Now, just a sidebar here. I, Lou and I got into a tangent about atheism. And I'm just going to share a portion of this. If I, if I gave you the whole part of it, it would take a lot longer. But um, the opposite of encouraging one another, the opposite of this pushback on discouragement and distraction that community is designed for, it, 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 it rears its head in all kinds of ways in society and in our culture, various relationships all over social media, we could say. And man, is it true in atheism. I respect atheists. I have friends that are atheists. I actually just was texting two days ago. Um, my brother was in L.A. And I said, hey, you're, ne you're near the neighborhood where my friend lives. And they got together and had coffee. Uh, my friend who's called himself an atheist for years, and we are dear, dear friends. I love him to death. But there is a depression in atheism. I've learned this. It is not just a scientific view or a view of the world. There is a deep-seated discouragement in the arena of atheism. And I have noticed, ironically, and I got into the weeds on this with Lou, I've actually noticed in the last 24 months, maybe longer, and I'm going to do a longer message about this in the future, at some point in the future, there is a discouragement settling in, in the world of atheism, that it's just hopeless. When you argue atheism all the way out, it's, it just leaves people like, yep, I've got maybe 12 more years, and then just utter blackness forever. I've got another 30 years, and then poof, it's over. And it, it leaves the conversation like, well, let's give the next 24 years our best shot. You know, like, it's just depressing. And I mentioned um, John Lennox, the renowned mathematician at Oxford, I was telling Lou, and this was just kind of a sidebar, John Lennox and others are actually giving voice today. Fascinating YouTubes. I'm going to share a, a YouTube clip with you at some point here about this whole conversation. About how the eight or nine leading atheists, the vocal atheists that have been speaking and debating on college campuses for much of the last couple decades, they seem to be struggling with their own discouragement. Like some of their own argument isn't making sense. And John Lennox makes the point, that math itself, 
shows the improbability of something coming out of nothing. It's nearly impossible mathematically, and Oxford, Oxford in London is having this conversation now in a scientific forum, not just religious, but really from a scientific platform. It is nearly impossible mathematically to have green grass and people who can be in conversation with one another out of nothing, when there once was nothing, no molecules, no atoms. And to land this part of this, to make this relevant here, Lou and I were talking about how among those who are discouraged or deeply depressed, is, it, it, evidence is made known that there has to be some kind of hope. I believe it is God's wiring in us. I have several atheist friends who will just constantly remind me, hey, Brad, I just made a very clear statement of why I'm an atheist. I need you to know I really hope you're right, Brad. There is a deep, like, I feel emotional about it. I really want you to be right. There is a constant pull towards encouragement to get out of the trap of discouragement and distraction. We as humans designed originally to image God, we are constantly, there's a spiritual part of us perpetually trying to come back into the world of encouragement and life and hope. And there's got to be good. I hope the future can really be good. And Lou is nodding his head through this whole and, 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 and contributing to this part of the conversation about the constant that remains in us for hope and good. And we find it in one another. Yes, in Scripture. Yes, sitting quietly on a sunny morning, being reminded by a pastor. There's relevance for what we're doing right now in this moment. But boy, the predominant focus of the New Testament is you and I not sitting in rows, but sitting in circles. It is, it is overwhelmingly the context of the New Testament. Not a building where we sit in rows, but community where we're sitting in circles, experiencing God's life in one another. When you don't see growth, I talked to Lisa Walters this week about this, and she said, she just, the scripture just came out of her really quickly. I was really impressed. And she said, when you don't see growth or progress, which we all sometimes feel that way, like, man, I just don't feel close to God this week. Or I'm not sure as my faith has been growing recently. It happens to all of us. Uh, she, she told me Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I'm going to invite our band to come. They're going to, they're going to close our morning here. But um, I'm, going to, I'm just going to finish with this. Lou and I agreed that life and hope exist in the relationships and conversations and stories of Jesus followers. Not perfect people. Imperfect apprentices of Jesus. God has somehow wired you and me in this thing called community to be where you and I are fed with encouragement. And we walk away from coffees where work has been so hard and the finances and the relationship and the struggle at home. We walk away from this moment with one of you, one of us, with a group of us feeling encouraged. Like, wait a minute, there is hope. There is good. There's someone who not only relates to my struggle, but there's hope happening in this world. And it's the movement of Jesus into dark places. Prioritize it. We're busy. We have a lot going on. I'm very busy. Prioritize this. This fall, 
When we mention opportunities to meet in groups, when we mention new groups starting up, pay close attention to that. Mark it in your calendars. Make margin and room for conversations with people who are also pursuing Jesus in groups and in labs and in dinner groups. I'm going to finish my portion here this morning before the band leads us with reading this month's daily prayer that we as a church are committed to, re- to, 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 to praying. Begin your experience with God every day. Allow this prayer to guide you every day in your time with God. If you don't know where to start, start with our daily prayer. And I'm going to read us now, so pray with me. You can close your eyes or you can read it on the screen behind me. But set your heart and your mind on this prayer as we give our hearts intentionally to God more and more every day. Powerful God who came to restore the world. I join my church community this month, setting my mind and my thoughts on you. My mind naturally wants to think about so many pressing matters. The pace of everyday life tempts me to put you aside. Jesus, help me right now to counter the thought, I'll get back to you later. Remind me today that experiencing you and you changing me begins with what I listen to, focus on, and think about. Reorder my mind. Reorder my habits with your words. Jesus, whatever is true and decent, right and pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy, help me to think on these things. In a broken and disappointing world, use me and our church this week to reveal your love and your power to make things new.